Hello and welcome to the DanceCast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lakkainen. In this episode of DanceCast, I'm chatting with Emily Wiederholt. We talked about dancers and dancing and where to dance and who to dance with and how old are you when you dance, what is technique, what is not technique, what is traditional dance and what is not. It's it's a quite an interesting episode. Emily Wiederholt is a dancer and writer based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She received her MA in Arts Journalism from the University of Southern California and her BFA in Ballet and BS in Political Science from the University of Utah. She further trained at the San Francisco Conservatory of Dance and has performed extensively around the Bay Area. She's a founding member of Melinda Lavella's dance theatre company, Project Thrust, with whom she still performs since its relocation to the Southwest. She has contributed regularly to the San Francisco Bay Guardian, In Dance, Caring Magazine, Q Newspaper at the South African National Arts Festival, The Santa Fe Reporter, and of course, Stance on Dance, which she founded in March 2012. She currently works as the editor of Fine Lifestyle Santa Fe Magazine and dances every second she's not writing. Emily was recently named one of the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts 100 for her work on the Dancing Over 50 project. Hey, Emily. Hi, Silva. So tell us, tell us more about Stance on Dance. Okay. Stance on Dance, well, that's kind of a long question. So do you want me to just kind of go for it or yeah, I think break you it should up? just go for it. I would love to hear how this all started. Okay, feel free to interrupt at any point if you have a... If it needs clarification, okay. Um, I was dancing in San Francisco for about six years. I studied at the San Francisco Conservatory of Dance after college, and then I started to do projects as they came up. I danced with a couple different companies and choreographers, and kind of following my nose in the dance world. And while I was doing all of this sort of rich, exciting work, um, the the reviews and previews that I read in the San Francisco Chronicle or the Bay Guardian felt like they leaned heavily towards the ballet companies like San Francisco Ballet or Smuin or like the modern company ODC. And they were very kind of driven about like reviews and previews and it popularity, like who's the cool dancer. And I felt like that was a really poor representation of this rich exciting world that I was a part of. And uh, I've always sort of had a propensity towards writing. And I started I started this website called danceinthebayarea.blogspot.com. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started to write different reactions and essays that I had to different dance experiences. And it was very uh, unprofessional in the sense that I would put together an essay and then I would email like a hundred people and say, hi everyone, I just wrote an essay. (laughs) (laughs) I was not savvy on tech and blogging and journalism or any of that, but it was, it was, I got a lot of good feedback and I really liked kind of having a voice and it occurred to me 
that um, there was a lot of room for that voice. And what I mean by that is that um, that I could be funny, that I could invite other voices into the conversation. And, and it started to sort of feel like this bigger thing than just putting together little essays. Mm -hmm. So I took like a blogging class and that's when I was kind of like, oh, I should start over and do this a little bit more professionally. So in 2012, I launched Stance on Dance, stanceondance.com, like bought the domain. And, and I also decided to use Stance on Dance so that I wouldn't be limited to the Bay Area should oh. I move and I have since moved um and so with stance on dance my roommate and fellow dancer at the time uh, Maggie Stack we started to collaborate once a month putting together these sort of funny illustration that we call them the bunion you know how there's the onion we yeah. started the bunion yeah. <laughs> so the idea was to both have serious essays and to have stupid cartoons that make fun of dance and that was a hit um, then I started to just interview people like, for instance, one of the first interviews I did was with this, um, wonderful improviser, Christian Burns. And instead of sort of asking him about like, what are your upcoming shows? I was kind of like, why do you improvise? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, how does it feed you? And sort of following my nose in that way. Um, and then I started to ask other people to contribute. Like I, you know, I, I had a friend who went to China to perform and I wanted her to write about her experience, like ex like how the different dance cultures, what she experienced, like dan contemporary dance in China versus in the United States. And these little kind of friends that I had that I interviewed, they quickly kind of morphed into this bigger thing. And, and I want to say as a dancer, often I felt like I was at the whim of the choreographers and the companies around me, like, do you want to use me in your next piece? Whereas oh, with yeah, Stance yeah. on Dance, I was in the driver's seat. Yeah. You know, I was the person that was evoking voices and questions instead of waiting for somebody else to make work that felt meaty. Um, so that was pretty exciting. And so um, in 2013, a good friend of mine, Gregory Bartning, who's a very talented photographer, um, I was telling him about this Butoh show that I saw with these older dancers and, and he, he sort of pitched this idea is that I think we should, we should do a big project interviewing older dancers and I'll photograph them. And that morphed into the dancing over 50 book, which will come out next spring, which is a series of, um, interviews with dancers ranging in age from 50 to 95 up and down oh, the wow. West coast. Um, we've interviewed, probably about 60 dancers for it, all in person. Um, so so cer cer certain things like that kind of pushed Stance on Dance more and more to have kind of like a, a universal interest. I really try to have all kinds of dance represented and all kinds of dancers and different voices, not just kind of who's the most popular and up and coming person in the dance world. So that's kind of that. Wow. Oh, and Twice a week, updated, always new content. I don't, I think once I reused an essay, but it's almost all original content. Oh, wow. Twice a week? Yeah. It's an enormous, <laughs> an enormous labor of love. Wow. So is that all that you do at the, with the with dance field nowadays? Do you still dance yourself? I still dance. I still mm -hmm. dance. It's, this is very important to me 
to not be an outsider weighing in, but to be an insider with something at stake in the dance world. Like I go to class regularly. I perform regularly. I'm not just, you know, kind of a pundit. Oh, I really I don't want to be that. So you you never really abandoned the, the traditional dance world, even though you're searching deeper about the diversity of the of the dance world. Well, I think that the traditional dance world is more nuanced than the the conversation that we usually have about it suggests. I think there are so many, I don't know what traditional dance is at oh, a certain point. You know what? I was actually listening you speak and talk about this. I'm thinking of the, the why I started DanceCast and I was thinking, but but I'm, I'm calling it a non-traditional dance. But then I'm, for me, that is very much the traditional dance like that's the that's the dance like I'm just questioning the same thing that you're talking about right now and like realizing yes I also started this from like a very just like a place to want to talk to people who do dance differently but I called it non-traditional but then I that signs like a traditional world which is you know, I mean, I'm I'm losing my words here. I'm I'm trying to convey this, just this like a lightning idea that I just got, or like yeah, it's I, not even idea. It's just like oh yes, yes, yes. By me calling this non-traditional, I'm putting it, I'm putting traditional into a box that doesn't include this non-traditional, even though I'm trying to put the non-traditional into the box of traditional. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. I think that traditional is. I don't think it exists, really. I think it's like sort of like a mainstream media perpetuation of dance that almost nobody I know, and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of dance artists, nobody fits in it. So few people, and if they do fit in it, they only fit in it for like two years. Yeah. And then they either age out of it or their interests change. But Or they age out of it. Yeah, or they, yeah, there's so many... There's so many ways to dance and so few of them align with whatever mainstream media thinks of as dance. I think that's, that's what it is that, that I was going against of like the mainstream idea what dance is. Yeah. And you know, I guess also the fact that when I say, Oh, I'm a dance teacher or I'm a dancer or I'm a choreographer. And then I start to explain what I do. Then it's like, Oh, that's dance. Like Mm -hmm. there's like this need, for me constantly to sort of say yes it is and like yes this is this is dance too so I guess it's coming from Ah. that personal experience as well I feel like you just brought up for me like the hot button issue of needing to validate my dance because I live in a culture where dance is marginalized and put up on some sort of weird pedestal like you say you say I'm a dancer and I mean I've written so much about this I feel like so you think you can dance and the nutcracker and black swan come to mind and I don't know anybody (laughs) who fits perfectly into those little boxes like even fairly traditional dancers who trained in ballet and worked in a company like chances are they have bigger interests than competing on a television show or doing the nutcracker forever you know yeah like yeah 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 dancers are humans and humans are multifaceted yeah you know 
And that I like that the word validation. That's what I was trying to look for. Yeah, I feel this need to validate my work constantly. So that's why yeah. I wanted to start to talk about to people who does the work in an in an, in a so so called non traditional setting with the non traditional people. Oh wow! So so you still interview people for Stance on Dance? Those and those. Oh yeah, I every, not every day. Um, often, <laughs> many times a week, I'm engaged in interviews. I um, I'm putting together now this series about what contemporary dance is. Mm. I think contemporary dance. Stay tuned. I think contemporary dance is a term that is kind of like this umbrella. You know, like oh, we don't really know what it is, but if it if you want it to fall under this kind of loose leaf term, and I have a lot of problems with the term because I think a lot of it is sort of whitewashed over and it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's anyway. So I, I've, I'm reaching out to all of these contemporary dancers across the country to ask them, like, how would you define contemporary dance? How does one train in contemporary dance? Are there successful funding yeah. models? What does the future of this form look like? You know, trying to ask questions that, and in general on Stance on Dance, my goal is to ask questions that challenge artists to critically think about what they're doing. Because I think often as an artist, your worth is like, well, who did you, who did you dance for? What kind of institutions are you aligned with? How much funding do you have? And for me, that doesn't necessarily provoke critical analysis of why you're doing your art. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. why are you doing this? Yeah, and I, I've, this is like another thing that I, I've been tooting this this a lot, this horn. It's like, well, you know, dance is traditionally so elitist. Like the idea mm -hmm. that only far and rare people can actually fit into that pedestal of like elitist dancer and make money yeah. with it. And, and that is kind of sad. And I think also old fashioned, like dance needs to go out to the communities. We need to... We, dance needs to be accessible to all in order for it to grow and become uh, not marginalized anymore. So offering dance yeah. and like not having that. So offering dance in a way that doesn't create to the participant this need to be in a certain way in order to be a dancer or enjoy dance. I totally am with you. And I think that it it's kind of in my head, it's a twofold problem that for most of the world, or let's say most of the Western world, yeah. there's this kind of rhetoric where people say, oh, I don't dance. I don't, I don't know how to dance. I don't feel comfortable dancing. You know, they have to get drunk at their yeah. cousin's wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and their favorite 80s song comes on for them to feel comfortable to kind of like bop their head a little bit. And I think that that is a huge injustice to your body, which is like this expressive vessel to say like, I don't, I don't know how to do that because especially men, it hits hard. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's that thing, like people in general, much less Or people different. who don't have the stereotypical dancer body. But I don't even think that people who have the stereotypical dancer body necessarily feel comfortable being in it. That's true. So, and I mean, just like the general population, I feel like yeah. most people, like much less people that have like, you know, quote unquote disabilities, like, I think that most people just don't feel comfortable dancing. Um, and I think that that's a huge injustice. <laughs> like, yeah. Most people feel comfortable, like, listening to music. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know anything about music. I'm not going to listen to the radio. Oh, Nobody says point. that. Yeah, that's a great point. Or movies. Like, I don't think that, 
you know, people go see the movies and they don't know anything about cinematography or acting. And they're like, that was a horrible movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if people could feel comfortable around dance the way they feel comfortable around music and movies, I feel like... Or literature. That would be a huge step forward. Or literature, right? Like some people who, who have never written a book. I mean, me. <laughs> so many people are like, I'm going to weigh in on this weighty piece of literature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm have an opinion and I think that people should feel comfortable not only having an opinion about dance but just dancing and, and, and having course, an experience of it but there are so yeah. many buts before you do even have the courage to have the experience of it that yeah that's the sad then, part I think that the other problem is that the dance world itself is really reinforcive and hierarchical so say you're one of these lucky people who gets exposed to dance and feels comfortable dancing and decides to pursue it, you won, you have to have enough, you have to have like money. You yeah. have to have money to pursue dance. Yeah. Unless you're in one of these wonderful programs that do outreach. But even then, it or is you live in point. Europe. Or you live in Europe. <laughs> if you want to take dance lessons regularly, you have to be of a certain socioeconomic class and you have to have a certain support system in your life. Um, and then two, the dance world itself breaks down people. Like they yeah. tell people you're not good enough. You, you know, we're going to cut you from this audition. We're going to cut you from this TV show. And so it's like, well, th these are the people that are like championing dance. They love to dance. Hell yeah. And then we're going to tell them they're not good enough over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, this is one of the reasons why I did not, my, my five-year-old daughter loves to dance and she has, <laughs> come to my classes and come to performances with me and she's oh. I think she's a fabulously creative mover of course um but she's been wanting to go and take dance classes and this is like my one thing is like no I don't want to I don't want to take you in an environment where somebody's going to tell you that that is wrong that your right. creativity is wrong and that is that is what has to change for me absolutely yeah, I think that the rhetoric that you're wrong in your body, and this is where, you know, like Alito Alessi's dance ability work is so profound that nobody is wrong in their body. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, you might consider making this choice or thinking about it this way, but it's just, it's just an option, a consideration. It's not wrong or right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's also interesting that you, um, it reminded me of something when you were telling, asking what is contemporary dance. What In my BA in Finland, we had a very um, body-mind centering and um, very like dance improvisation, contact improvisation, yoga, Aikido-based training in our school. And a lot of us who came from the traditional world, the ballet, or from the ballet world, was like, well, this is not technique. This is not, this is not, this is not. This is not good. This is not, nobody's going to ever hire me. This is not great. So we got this task for an entire year to write once a week an essay about what is dance technique. And I thought it was really good for me personally. Like I, I really had to really go deep thinking, well, what is it that I mean when I say we don't have technique? Which, of mm -hmm. course, I realized we have humongous amount of technique that we are learning. Dance improvisation is filled with technique. Right, like, right. You know, so it was really that question. Those questions are really great to ask. And, the, I mean, I, I, I take ballet class once or twice a week. I love technique, but that doesn't mean that it's the only 
ballad expression of dance, right? Yeah. It's just it's just a toolkit, you know, like yeah. you can use it or you can use another tool. Um, I think that there's room in dance for all of it. Exactly. It's like this kind of like limited thinking, like dance has to fit in a box, like the <laughs> traditionalist thing yeah. we were talking about. It yeah. can if you want it to, but it's there's so much room for whatever you want it to be. Yeah, and this is one of the things with my work that I see um, how very beneficial it is uh, for you as a person and how it builds your self-esteem. It creates communities. It just it heals you in a way that is strong and beautiful and happens sort of as a side note, not mm -hmm. as the main focus. And like... One of the things I want to learn more is how to how to write and like how to 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 make research about that. How to how to mm -hmm. put that into like a hey, this is actually happening, because I do feel like dance is in that way very powerful tool, even though the focus is not on the healing part. Right. Well, and I think that this is kind of a roundabout way of saying this, but I think that one of the best lessons that I've learned from Stance on Dance is that, well, how do I say this? Um, you know, so I, I just sort of follow my notes, whatever my current interest is, mm -hmm. whatever I'm sort of thinking about, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try to interview a bunch of people about that. And so for instance, I started to inter when I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is, not a small town, but it's certainly not a big city. I started to interview people about like, what do you, like, what, what, you know, does dance need to exist in a huge big city for it to have some sort of viability and richness? Like, can it be in a small town at a small studio and still be rigorous? And, um, or I did this whole thing about healing through dance, you know, like I just kind of follow my nose and, and what comes out of it, how am I, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say that like the lessons that I need are in the work. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes, it, sometimes I'm curious about healing and sometimes I'm curious about location and sometimes I'm curious about technique. And I think that all dancers, I hope all dancers, their, their interests change and morph and vary as their practice varies but the, the but the dance can hold all of that you know like even though you're not maybe necessarily like I am a healing dancer that has a healing aspect or I am a technical dancer but that it has a technical aspect you yeah know? yeah and that's the one thing like I I actually think is the strength in dance for me that I see is I never think about this oh let me go and heal some people like I never <laughs> ever ever think that but this is something I see oh oh look at that Oh, I see. Yep. After three years, this person is just very different in my classes, yeah. and I'm then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, because this work is so powerful. Yeah, I feel like you can't follow a thing and not have it affect you positively. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. One of the women that I interviewed for my the Dancing Over Fifty project. Um, she she was a professional dancer and then her husband uh had multiple sclerosis and she ended up giving up dance so she could work full time at like an IT company so she could have health insurance and then she was basically his nurse and and when he finally when he died she 
had an inordinate amount of stress in her body and um, had gained a lot of weight that wasn't healthy and, you know, like just maybe physically wasn't in such a great place. And so she went back and slowly started to dance, which is just beautiful, right? Like that yeah. somebody could find that through dance. But she said, she said, you know, she said that like, I was still dancing when I was caring for my husband and working IT. Like that was part of my dance, you know, like it's not like something you go into the studio and you work really hard and you wear, you know, your exercise clothes or your sweatpants. Like the dance is, the dance is all of it. Like it's your life experience and how you choose to manifest it expressively. Well, that is a beautiful way of putting it. Thanks. I definitely, that rings through with me having three children and not taking a technique class and like for years, you know, like not taking care of my body and and then yet really after, you know, past couple of years really diving back into the dance and loving it again. Yeah, almost feels like it's richer. You never stop dancing. You just stop dancing in a certain context. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, it never stopped. It never stopped. And it feels kind of good to hear that, that it happens in an older age and can happen again. And it's not, you know, the end of the world scenario. Yeah. And now she's performed. She's in her 70s and she's performing regularly. And it was amazing. Just like that's that reminds you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm 30. It, it's, it's nice to be reminded that you don't have to hold on to dance. Like I'm a dancer. I promise I'm going to go to class regularly. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It will be there. Yeah. If, yeah, it's always there. Yeah. So what was, uh, what was that plus 50 dancers over 50? What was the, the most, what do you, can, can you see like a, a threat that, everybody had is there something common thread is there, or are they all stories all over i don't know so gosh i mean it's it's both they're all over um my the thesis do you know what buto dances b-u-t-o-e yeah. mm -hmm. okay so so for any listener who does not know what buto dances it's a it's a form that evolved out of the westernization of Japan in the 50s and 60s and often characterized by slow movement. So um, this this couple, Eiko and Koma, um, who I believe live in New York but are Japanese, um, they did this piece at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts that I saw in which they, they rolled towards each other from opposite sides of the stage and he put his hand on her chest and they rolled away and it took almost 30 minutes. And I, I was so moved. I mean, like I was like crying and held my breath and it was really dramatic. <laughs> and, and I was thinking on the bus ride home from that performance that people, if I had seen two performers in their 20s or 30s or even 40s, that they would not have been able to tap into that kind of like expressive malleability just, just because they hadn't lived long enough. And so that was sort of my approach going into it was that, it's not just like, look, you're still dancing. <laughs> wow. But that you, you actually have something to offer that young people don't even have the capacity to tap into and should look forward to tapping into. I can't wait till I'm 80 and I'm going to have some sort of insight that I don't right now because I'll have lived longer. Like it's yeah, yeah. Based, I might not be able to do, you know, I definitely won't be able to do grandja days, but <laughs> yeah, but that's, there's a trade, you know, like, and Your so solo when I, will move some 30-year-old in the audience. 
<laughs> Hopefully. Um, so that, that was sort of the, the place that I approached these interviews from was this, like, not just an homage to what they've done, but that, you know, you're, you're still here and you're still giving to the form. And so the, and then I also wanted to do sort of like a retrospective, not on, not on what they've accomplished, but what, 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 uh, what pursuing an art through your lifetime, like what that yields in terms of your philosophical outlook. So Mm. I asked them, like, how has your motivation to dance changed over time? What do you perceive as your legacy? Do you feel successful? Have you, have you done, are you successful? And what advice would you give to either a younger generation or um, a younger version of yourself? And mm-hmm. as you can imagine, there were several common threads throughout that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people feeling, I mean, and very, very successful, quote unquote, successful in the dance world. A lot of people feeling you know, when you ask them about success, like, I don't really know what I've done or if it counts. <laughs> and um, a lot of people not knowing, like, because dance is so ephemeral, like, I don't know what my legacy is. I kind of don't think there is one hmm. advice, like, you know, chill out. It's not this serious. <laughs> Enjoy it more than more than anything. So there are those sorts of, like, common threads. But in terms of any sort of, like, one theme there wasn't really like one thing you could put your finger on because some people were quite disillusioned and tired and others were raring to go and like taking class way more than I have ever taken class. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, this reminds when, um, this reminds me of like this talk, this dancing throughout your entire life. I have a friend called Meg Foley. She lives in Philadelphia and she's a dancer and creator and, um, she did for like two, I think even longer than two years. She had a, a alarm in her phone at 3.15 every day. She would do a little dance every really? day, wherever she was. When the alarm went off, she would dance for a while. And I loved it. I loved that project. Wow. Yeah. So there, everybody just, you know. Can I interview her? <laughs> yeah, you should. You should. She is amazing. She's amazing. Great. Yeah, she did a whole thing like, and then there was the groups of people who started doing these three fifteen dances, and they would be. I mean, at one time we visited her and we were walking to the park with the kiddos, and her phone goes off, and she just she she didn't even miss a beat of the conversation, and she just started dancing. <laughs> really, so she yeah. would integrate it into you know if she was with other people, she would just say, "Hey, it's time to dance." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Oh my gosh, I want to interview her. Yeah. I, I, there's so many different contexts that I feel like even personally, like, I don't know if I could drop everything and dance. Oh, she and she didn't. She didn't. She would just dance, you know, dance right there, talking with you and do her dance. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. So, well, yeah. Check Mac Foley out. I will. I will. <laughs> do you have any other questions for me? I don't know if I have any others you right now no i mean i i want to i want to read this book so bad when is it coming out um geez it's been such a long haul um when we did you are start it? in 2013 oh, and wow. then we would do it in these crazy spurts gregory lives in portland and now i live in santa fe and i would call him up and say like okay when do you have a week and we would schedule like 15 interviews in five days it was an it was it was insane i would never 
we could never repeat it because it was exhausting. It was all self-funded. I would put together this like insane itinerary, like, okay, 10 o'clock, we're going to here, <laughs> two o'clock here, six o'clock, we're here. So wait, you flew yourself out everywhere, yep. self-paid. Oh yeah, yeah, we funded it all. Because I don't know, I guess I could have done a better job looking for funding. But when you're already using, I mean, I work, I, I, I write for a living for a yeah. local magazine. And um, when you're already using your free time to do an enormous project like Stance on Dance or the Dancing Over 50 project and dancing in your community on top of that, like, I don't really want to spend my time applying for grants that I maybe have a 25% chance of getting. I'd yeah. rather just do work. Yeah, yeah. But it was very important to us, Gregory and I, that we we self-publish this because I didn't want, well, one, when you've paid paid for all of it to exist, you don't really want to hand over like a cut to an editor or a publisher who steps in last minute. And then second, like I really wanted to have expressive, like, sorry, creative control over what it looks like. And we have this wonderful designer, Leve Mass in Portland. She contacted me. She was inspired by the project and wanted to offer her services. And she's been wonderful to work with, but it feels like it's been really, um, like we've kept control over the product. I yeah. you know, didn't want to like take out the interviews of the people that were less famous and keep in the ones that were more famous. Like this isn't about who's famous. It's about all the ways people dance. And so to answer your question, when does it come out? We are probably before, no, definitely before Christmas, maybe even before Thanksgiving, we're going to send it to the printer. And by March or April of next year, 2017, it should all be shipped out and ready to go. And you can order it from Amazon? Where can you order it? From stanceondance.com. You can order it from stanceondance.com. <laughs> maybe so, when it's out, we'll put it on Amazon. But for now, you can pre-order it through Stance on Dance. Oh, awesome. Okay. And I know what I'm going to get for myself for Christmas then. <laughs> so you. one more thing um can we find those cartoons still on stance on dance oh yes oh okay. yes uh, everything that's ever been published on stance on dance is on stance on dance awesome. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of content you know it's going on five years worth of twice a week yeah. but if you have the time and energy i think that there are some incredibly poignant and funny and sad and inspiring like the gamut because oh. dance is the gamut right yes so tell me your favorite interview ever ever Gosh. i have like two or three yeah okay 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 you can you can say two or three yeah okay um I think pretty early on one of my favorites his name was tony reesey and he danced with william forsyth and he was coming to San Francisco to perform. And I was actually interviewing him for another publication that wanted a very short interview. But I thought like, okay, I'm just going to do a long interview and use it for Stance on Dance and then cut out the little pieces. And it was so, he was just so honest and exciting. And at the time I was very much in the ballet world. And it was really validating to hear somebody think about ballet in such a big way. Uh-huh. So that was pretty exciting. And then more recently, um, I got to interview Emery Blackwell oh, for yeah. the Dancing Over 50 project. And it was I, I did a danceability workshop this past summer, and that's where I met Emery. And we had already finished, we had finished all the interviews. It was in the design process. 
And uh, for those who don't know, Emory has cerebral palsy and has worked with Alito Alessi in the danceability community for like 30 years. And I called up Gregory, my photographer, and I said, we need to include this dancer in the project. And so I did an interview with Emory over the phone and I, I had to use his aide, Connie, because I have a hard time understanding him. And I got off. I got off the, the phone with him and I, I was I was just crying. I was like, he just has such an unencumbered view of dance. You know, here we are like validation and we're not this and we are that and dance is big. And, and he's just like, he like it wasn't even about that for him. He was like, I dance, everybody can dance. Like we don't need, you know, it was just so um, unencumbered. I guess that's the word. And mm-hmm. I felt, I felt like myself and so many of the people I've interviewed have had maybe a disabled view of dance because they're fighting so hard to own it. Uh And I didn't feel like any of that was there with Emery. It was so obvious and fresh. Joyful? Yes, joyful was a big word that came to mind. And then Gregory had to go down to Eugene separately and interview, or not interview, photograph him. And he called me up and he's like, he's just like was spewing euphoria. <laughs> like it was <laughs> so obvious that this man loved to dance. And you think that we would have had an easy time getting all these dancers to dance for us. But some of them felt very self-conscious. And and that's part of it, you know? Like when you get older, you get more self-conscious, I, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that book is going to be a really refreshing read. I hope so. I it's it's beautiful. I mean, I know of course I did it, but with Gregory, but it, it's powerful and inspiring and forthright. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! So everybody, check on it on stanceondance.com and pre-order because yes, this pre-order. is gonna change you who you think you are as a dancer. I feel like this is one of those books you're like, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, so no, I don't have to hurry. I don't have to be stressed and nasty about things (laughs) you don't have to prove yourself you just have to dance yeah and whatever that means to you at 3 15 every day at 3 15 or whenever the clock chimes for you (laughs) (laughs) well emily thank you so much uh for chatting with me of course thank you for participating in the the great conversation (laughs) 